0: An endless song that goes in my soul. I hear the music ring, and though the storms may come, I am holding on, and to the rock. Shouting your name. I know I
1: am loved by
2: the King, and it makes my heart I am loved by the King. How wonderful, Saviour is Jesus, my Lord. Wonderful Savior, to me He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love, and comes.
3: the Preston Crest Church of Christ early service on the day that we sprang forward those of you who remember to do that we are back to daylight savings time my wife does not like daylight wasting time so we're we're happy to be in this time zone Uh, my name is Brian Pruitt I serve as one of the elders and on behalf of our eldership we're delighted that you've joined us this morning If you're a first-time visitor, we hope that you'll take one of the cards in the pew in front of you and uh, take that back to our Welcome Center. Uh, We have a first-time special gift for you and we'd like to get to know you better after our service. If you haven't done so already, please text the number on the screen to check in on our church team's app, 469. 476-5331. This is uh, important for our response team to know who's on our campus in case we have any safety or security event. As we begin our worship this morning, I'm gonna read from Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If you will pray with me. Father in heaven, all glory and honor be to your name now and forever. Thank you for allowing us to be called your children. Help us, Father, to love you with all of our hearts and our soul and our mind and our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to grow spiritually more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for our families and our loved ones. Thank you for the physical comforts that we enjoy, the abundance of our food and clothing and shelter. Thank you, Father, that we still have the freedom to worship you openly. Father, because we are blessed with so much, help us to share with those in need. Help us, Father, not to envy or covet what others have. Give us wisdom to make good decisions and to show common sense. Help us feed our minds, Father, with holy, wholesome information and thoughts. We pray this morning that our worship will be according to your will, Father, that our worship will be what you want and what is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for forgiveness of our sins individually so that we have a hope of eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
4: Put a song in my soul when you made me People think I'm crazy when I'm praising your name Well I get so excited cause it's nothing quite the same The smile on my face comes from the smile in my heart Put a song in my soul when you made me You put a song in my soul when you made me i will still be singing to the day that i die and lord i heard You promise of home up in the sky my joy is in your spirit and song in your name you put a song in my soul when you made me come on song in my soul i will lift my voice to you song in my soul Praise to you, song in my soul. I will give my life to you, song in my soul. Song in my soul. I will live my voice to you, song in my soul. And I'll give the praise to you, song in my soul. I will give my life to you, song in my soul.
3: We want to invite our young families with new babies up and our elders that happen to be here, up uh, here together. group. Okay, well, on behalf of the elders here at Preston Crest, let me say that we love babies and children uh, and young families. One of our traditions here is to have a special time in one of our assemblies periodically to pray to God, thanking him for these new babies and asking for his blessing on their lives. This is not a requirement or a sacrament or a christening or anything like that. It's merely a tradition to celebrate the life of these new babies and the time, a time of blessing to affirm this gift from above. In today's world, many view children as a negative, as a burden or a cost or a hassle. And as someone who has five kids, I can tell you, we, we feel like we're uh, very blessed, not burdened. That's not our view here at Preston Crest. It's not a biblical view of children. We love and value each new baby, and we recognize each one as a blessing from God. Psalm 127, three through five says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. We congratulate every parent and grandparent with us this morning. We urge you to nourish these new lives, not only physically, but spiritually as well. Read the Bible to them, sing with them, pray with them, teach them with your words and your example every day. With this, with this many babies on the stage, who knows what, with God's help, these little ones may become. You are likely looking, you are likely looking at future scientists, doctors, lawyers, business people, elders, deacons, Bible teachers, missionaries. One of these babies may cure cancer, walk on Mars, or start the next Amazon or Tesla. (laughs) They may also lead many other souls to eternal life in Christ Jesus. As elders, we want you parents to know that we're here for you. In fact, the entire Preston Crest congregation is here to love and encourage and support you in this most important task, that is parenting according to God's will. We are blessed to have an incredible children's ministry directed by Rebecca Sutton who has such a heart for children. She, along with other staff members and hundreds of volunteers here at Preston Crest, want to help you infuse God's word into your child as they themselves demonstrate the love of Christ. Whenever we can help you or pray for you or assist you in any way as parents, please reach out to us. Again, congratulations. John Collier is
1: going to lead our blessing. Let's all pray together over these amazing babies. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to thank you for all the blessings of life you give us. And this morning, Father, we are especially grateful for the miracle of these new lives. I thank you for this incredible gift of life that you have given these families. I thank you for every coo and every cry and every fussing noise being made right here on this stage, Father, and, and weekly in this auditorium. And I'm so thankful for each of these parents and for their commitment to follow you and to have a, a relationship with you. And I'm especially grateful, Father, that you have instilled in each of these parents the need to raise their families in a Christian home and to ensure they are raised in a church community in order to teach them about you early in their lives. Father, I ask that you give wisdom to these parents to make good decisions for their little ones, that they will direct the trajectory of their lives from these earliest days, always towards you and your will. I ask that you bless these parents, give them strength and persistence and steadfast resolve as they bring these children up to know you and to know your word give them the strength to push back against cultural differences, Father, and to protect them while they are young. Lord, we ask that you bless these new babies physically, mentally, spiritually. Protect them, Father, and give them healthy bodies and minds as they begin to grow and mature. I pray for your protection over each baby's life. I pray that their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles will pour your word into them, Father, your word, the Bible, into their hearts and their minds daily as they grow and develop. And I pray that these little ones would be exposed to the best examples and role models during their formative years. And Father, help each of us as their Preston Crest Church family to teach them your word, to encourage them, to support them, and to help lead them to a knowledge and faith that will sustain them all of their lives and beyond into a, a home in heaven for all eternity. Dear Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. And above all else, we thank you for the gift of your Son sent to this earth as a baby, just like these before us now. And it is through him, his name that we pray, Father. Amen. Amen.
2: I think it would be appropriate to show our love and appreciation for these families.
0: James.
1: Hey, James.
2: I would imagine that Daylight Saving Sunday might be a little tough on some of these uh, new parents. So glad y'all are here. Glad y'all made it this morning. We're going to sing one more song as we enter into our time of communion. And then Trent Pruitt will come and lead us around the bread and around the cup this morning. You and I, the
0: God created by you. You know are
5: What is it about these babies that bring a smile to our faces? I'm always filled with joy when I get to see my niece, Paige McMakin, who is one of the babies we had the honor of blessing this morning. Paige is only five months old. She can't talk yet. She has not been exposed to much except for the love of her family. Paige is completely innocent. Perhaps a baby's innocence is one of the reasons we're so enamored with them. Perhaps a baby's innocence makes us feel there is a divine presence among us, a presence that warms our spirits with gratitude for the gift of such an encounter. Unlike us, a baby has no concept of right or wrong, no selfish desires except for the essentials that keep them alive. A baby does not depend on themselves, but fully trusts their protectors, their creators and sustainers of life, their parents. A baby is pure and without fault. A baby is set apart from the rest of us. The rest of us who have unfortunately seen the other side of the veil that separates the pure from the impure. And how we wish we had not ever stepped foot on the other side of that veil It haunts us because it separates us from our protector, our creator, our sustainer of life. We wanted so desperately to gain access back to the other side because without our sustainer of life, we were spiritually dead without hope for anything more beyond our earthly life. Fortunately, through the sacrifice of God's innocent son, Jesus, He made a way for us to step back into his life-sustaining presence. He removed the veil that separated us and embraced us like a child. All we have to do is acknowledge what separated us and be reborn through the renewing waters of baptism. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, might, uh, we too walk in the newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And when we repent of our sins and accept the gift of Jesus' sacrifice, God sees us as a new creation. He no longer sees our selfishness, but now sees the purity and innocence of a newborn baby. As our Heavenly Father, He looks at us as a pure and precious child. He looks at us with love and asks that we stay near to Him so that we may be protected from anything that might want to steal our innocence away again. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And as Christians, we make a decision each day to remove our old way of life and adjust our attitudes to accept a pure and holy and new way of life. So during this time of communion together, we celebrate the gift of our renewed lives through Jesus Christ, and we do this together as brothers and sisters to remember our combined commitments as the beloved children of our Heavenly Father. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, our protector, our creator, today we celebrate the gift of new life. These babies are are a reminder of what your people have longed for. And this bread that we're about to partake in is a reminder of your son's broken body that gave us what we longed for. We have been made new, pure, and innocent, like a newborn baby, so that we may walk with you again, no longer separated by sin. So we thank you, Father, for welcoming us, your children, back into your loving presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you pray with me again? God, Father, we come to you so grateful for that sacrifice. We're thankful for the blood that washes away our sin that separated us from you. So we take this cup now, remembering that bloodshed that washes away our sin, that made us clean in your eyes, and we ask for your forgiveness when we forget that gift. Lord, we love you in your son, Jesus, and it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.
2: Okay. an offering this morning. You can drop that in the uh, offering box in the middle of the foyer. You can also give online. Uh, and so uh, thank you for, for giving. Thank you for, for giving to uh, further God's work, expanding his kingdom in this place and outside of these walls. Let's, uh, let's bow. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to, to approach you and worship. You are worthy of our, our praise You are worthy of our honor. We are thankful for for young families, for young babies today. May they grow to be servants of yours. Father, thank you for calling us your children. And may we be about your kingdom business in this place and outside of these walls. Bless us as we give bless us as we continue with our worship it's in the name of jesus that we pray amen let's watch a video about
6: pc 101 hi i'm phil jackson one of the elders here at preston crest and i want to tell you about pc 101 the Preston Crest Church of Christ is a welcoming place for all types of people to hear the message of Jesus Christ. But public teaching about Jesus alone doesn't make us a church. What makes us a church, not just an educational organization, is that we are a community. We have guests and regular attenders, but we also have members. Members are people who have made the intentional decision to belong to our fellowship and know that they're connected connected with God's vision for Preston Crest, connected with God's son, connected to one another and connected to God's mission. PC 101 is an informal session that helps those who are considering placing membership by helping them get to know Preston Crest better and to answer any questions they may have about Preston Crest Church of Christ. We look forward to traveling together on our Christian journey and thank you Preston Crest for supporting ministries like PC 101.
2: DC 101 is a time of conversation and coffee after our, after our uh, first service, right? It's been between first and second services during class time, yeah. And that's, uh, that's going to be happening next Sunday. Uh, okay, so in... Um Uh, where refresh ladies day that's coming up as well that's going to be saturday march 25th and uh, ladies if you have not registered for that please do so you can you can either grab that qr code that's on the wall right now with your phone or you can sign up in the foyer at the table and this is going to be a wonderful day so many of you have already signed up and thank you but uh, please take advantage of that if you have not already done so. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to children's church, and we're going to sing a song that, if ever there was a song of lament, this is it. I love it. Let's sing it, church. When
0: Peace like
7: Amen. Yeah, PC 101 next Sunday morning after first service across the hall there in the fellowship room. Hope you'll join us. If you have been visiting, if you would like to place membership, that would be a great place for you about 9:30 next week. Language learning is difficult. Language learning, uh, obviously very rewarding if you've picked up a second language or maybe you have a third language. Also pretty much guaranteed along the way is some comic relief because sometimes you think you're saying one thing, you're actually saying another thing when you haven't mastered a language or you're mispronouncing something so it comes out totally different. We moved to Brazil and in the early days there were a few of those incidents, one of them I remember we had a lady that was coming to clean our apartment one day, and so I told the doorman downstairs, uh, wanted to let him know, so he would let her in that the cleaning lady was coming by. Uh, he reacted really weird to that, though. I was like, okay, something's not right. Uh, because instead of calling her a fechadura, cleaning lady, I called her a fechadura, a doorknob. <laughs> So, yeah, I remember saying, you know, cleaning lady my cleaning will be, be here about 8 o'clock. Uh, she'll leave about 5 o'clock. And he just pointed at the doorknob, their front door of the apartment complex, and said, Fecha Dura. Yeah. Or the time I was preaching, first time in Brazil, preaching that amazing story of the prodigal son. You know, that great celebration, that barbecue that the father has at the end of the story to welcome his lost son back home. And he has his servants kill the fatted what? The fatted calf, yeah, barbecue, let's have some beef. Uh, That would be bezejo in Portuguese, and I boldly proclaimed that he was going to kill the, not the bezejo gordo, but the bezorro gordo. Pretty similar, right? That would be the fatted beetle. (laughs) So, yeah, that's about the response I got as I was preaching. And I'm thinking, what? This story isn't funny. We were told when we were about to move back to the States that our kids uh, would struggle to retain their Portuguese, especially David, because he was only eight years old. Little kids learn it quickly, forget it quickly, and sure enough, after a few months, it was about 99% gone. Well, in our lament series, today's the final day, and a language that we have all mastered at one time but that many of us have lost is this, the language of lament. In fact, it was your first language. Uh, We have heard maybe some of it this morning. Little babies, the one thing they know how to do to communicate is those loud screams of protest. In fact, in the delivery room, those cries are not interpreted by medical professionals as a sign of, uh, of sickness or frailty, It's the first sign of life. It's the first sign that that baby is okay, that loud cry. And I believe it is less healthy as we get older and we forget or we lose touch with our native tongue, with the language of lament. And so we're getting back to that because it is a language according to Bible that God's people have been speaking for a very long time time. Mark Vrogop calls it a language of faith. He says, lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty, but who live in a world with tragedy. Here's the thing. In order to be healthy, in order to have this vibrancy, this sign of vitality and life, we need to perhaps relearn the language of lament. The God-directed cry has always, in the scriptures, been a sign of health. And it's unfortunate that it's been neglected or it's been unlearned. Some are embarrassed by tears. Some feel it's awkward to be around someone who is mourning, who is sobbing, and so they've lost fluency in this sacred language. Jesus, Jeremiah, Job, King David, they were all very fluent in the language of lament. And stating what should be by now obvious third week of this series, musician, composer, Michael Card has this to say, not a single verse Not a single verse of the Old Testament forbids lamenting. In fact, later on, Jesus will bless those who do. So the tears of our spiritual ancestors, they are, of course, a matter of permanent historical record. Um, God etched their cries into the pages of the Bible so that his people would know the sacred place that weeping has in the lives of the redeemed, in the lives of the faithful. We're told that Jesus, Isaiah 53, verse 3, was a man of sorrows. And that beautiful phrase, your Jesus was, quote, acquainted with grief. And so we would do well to work on our fluency in the language of lament. In the Bible, there are two dialects in the language of lament. One is protest. We've been talking about protest the last couple of weeks, and then the language of penitence, penitence. The faithful response to things that are not right out there is the cry of complaint is the voice of protest offered in prayer or song to God. When we lose someone close to us, or when we lose someone to dementia, they're still alive technically, but the personality is gone. Or when we we see something in the world out there that is not as it should be, We offer a cry of lament, of protest. God, that is not right. It could be an injustice out there in the world. How could this be happening again? Another unarmed black man shot down in the streets. How could this be happening? A few years back, I was asking that. I went to a memorial service, a lament service, really, at the Meyerson in downtown Dallas, lamenting the murder in cold blood of five Dallas police officers, we protest. We say, how, God? If you're on the throne, how could this be happening? And in that protest, we lean toward faith and hope and praise. So today we're going to consider not that first stream, the stream of protest, but rather that of penitence, Where we don't point out there and say, that's wrong. We look inside and we say, this is wrong. (laughs) I'm not right, God. Help me with this. And so today we've got to talk about David. If we talk about the, the lament of penitence, this is a man after God's own heart. And we know that it can't mean that David was flawless, because in 1 Samuel, he's a, gods after, after, he's a man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel, he's an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. So he wasn't flawless, but he was faithful. He was after the heart of God. He loved God more than anything else. His heart was broken when he felt a distance growing between him and the Lord. He had a God-hungry heart, and so we're going to key in on the most notorious sin episode in the life of David, and we'll be turning to a song that he wrote, a prayer song, Psalm 51 in a few minutes. Uh, You probably don't need all of the story, all of the high-def gore and details of the story of David and Bathsheba, but here's just a sketch. When this chapter occurs in 1 Samuel, David is at a really good point in his life. His major resume-building activities are in the past. He is the king. He has expanded and solidified the borders of the nation of Israel. Some battles are still being fought, but they're not being fought by him anymore. He has trusted soldiers off on distant front lines, securing the kingdom. He is on cruise control. He is doing well. He is in the city of David. He is in Jerusalem in his palace, and that's when you might remember he notices her. He notices Bathsheba, the gorgeous woman in the neighboring house who is taking a bath on her roof. He is overcome with, with lust, And he has her brought to him, and they spend the night together. Now, David was married. David was not married to her. Her husband Uriah was a trusted military officer, a mighty man fighting David's battles far away. And after that night together, Bathsheba became pregnant. Long story short... David did what a lot of us do when we stumble into sin. He began trying to cover things up. He be- began trying to hide his iniquity from those around him, and so he wanted Uriah through his first scheme to believe that it was Uriah's baby he brought him back from the front lines. Hey, go and spend the night with your wife. Your with your wife, Uriah would not do that, and so his scheme fell apart. And so he had his friend his soldier murdered I mean there's really no other way to say it that's exactly what happened he didn't do it himself but he orchestrated it with the end that Uriah would die and it worked out sent Uriah back to the front lines on a suicide mission had everyone around him pull back so that he was alone surrounded by enemies and he was killed problem solved. I don't know about you, but it seems like for me personally, I tend to get into more trouble when my life is on cruise control. When things are just smooth sailing, that's when I get into trouble. I also find in my life that things tend to compound themselves. One sin leads to another, kind of like in David's story, there is a chain reaction of deception and and cover-up. And we can probably all, in honest reflection, see that. How one bad decision begets another bad decision. And so David thought he had gotten away with it. Bathsheba's pregnant, but her husband's dead. He had come home from the front lines, so, you know, people will think that it's... But no, there's no hiding sin From the Lord. And a faithful friend of David, a prophet named Nathan, comes to him and confronts him with his sin, and David all of a sudden just feels the crush of the weight of the guilt. His heart has returned to God, but it is a badly beaten up heart. Bathsheba delivers a baby, very sickly baby. David laments and laments. The baby passes away. David feels responsible for that. Let's take a time out here. This is the thing. We Americans, I'm going to judge us a little bit, we avoid sorrow. We avoid uncomfortable situations. And so sorrow is something that we try to put away but sorrow can be an amazingly life-giving, healthy thing. Paul in the New Testament talks about it. He wrote some letters to the church in Corinth, and they were, um, they were tense. There were a number of things he needed to address. Translation, ugliness, sin. He called them out for divisions within the church, He called them out for all kinds of sexual immorality, adulterous relationships, incense, let's see, homosexual lifestyles, everything. He called them out for all of that, you name it. He even had to write chapters to them about their assemblies when they gathered to worship. It was ugly. Rich-poor gap, the haves and the have-nots, competition over who was more spiritual. You know, I have this gift of the Spirit. You don't have it too bad. You know, it was like that. And so he called them out. And his strong words made the Christians in Corinth very sad. And it's a good thing they did. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were, listen to this, you were grieved into, what? Into repenting. For you felt, great phrase here, you felt a godly grief, godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces... It produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief only produces death. So these two kinds of spiritual grief here, one of them uh, leads to only disconnection, isolation, death. One of them, godly grief, leads a soul back to the Father. Leads toward redemption. And it's good. Paul says, I rejoice in your grief because look at what it's done for you. It's a sign of life for you. It's proof that you're not lost. That you belong to the Father. And so grief becomes lament when it turns toward God. And there is redemption on the other side of that repentance. A sincere longing to move back to the Lord. David felt that kind of grief over his own sinful choices. Uh, His sorrow, his brokenheartedness, set him on a path back to the Lord. And David not only confessed his sin to God, I mean, like, I'm going to go alone in my closet, God. I did this. I had this affair, and I had my friend killed. He confessed it publicly. We have his confession recorded in the songbook of Israel. I'm going to write a song about it. Everyone's going to know what I did. And they're going to see the lament, the turning back to God. He was done hiding. He was done pretending that he had done nothing wrong. And so there was healing, there was a fresh start. Psalm 51 David, have mercy. Have mercy on me, oh God. According to your steadfast love, your Hesed. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know, I know my transgressions. And sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. No sugarcoating, no explaining, no justifications. Penitence. He's looking inside, and it's, it's filthy. God, cleanse me. He owns up to his sin. He acknowledges it. He is grieved by it. He experiences a sorrow that leads to life and restoration. And so, as we've seen in this biblical language of lament, it doesn't simply stop. There, In the wallowing, in the sorrow, in biblical lament, there's this turning to to God. There's the faithful turn. There's the hope and the worship. By the way, you want to know what revival looks like? Historians talk about revivals, whether they are the ones recorded in Scripture or the ones that have just occurred in history since the close of, of Scripture. The last book was written in the Bible. Two things. There is confession of sin and there is fervent prayer. Jonah in Nineveh. That stubborn evangelist finally is convinced to preach in Nineveh for 40 days. He preaches the whole city. Babylon, I mean, Nineveh, rather. Nineveh breaks out in revival. Even the king. And it wasn't like a secret, oh, Lord, I sinned. They were putting on sackcloth and ashes. They were walking, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. Revival broke out in Nineveh. Great Welsh Revival, you probably heard about it in history class at one point, 1904, leaked into 1905, the Great Welsh Revival, so Western England broke out and the whole country was changed. Pubs had to close because they didn't have enough customers anymore. True stuff. You can read this. Read about this. You've heard of Welsh ponies, these little squatty ponies that were bred to work inside the coal mines. Uh, they couldn't get the ponies to, to follow orders anymore because they were so used to the profanity-laden, expletive-filled rants of the coal miners. After everybody got converted, the ponies didn't know, what am I supposed to do? I don't understand anymore. They're talking a different language now. <laughs> There was a description of one of the gatherings in a Welsh newspaper, just so you can get a taste of this. The reporter said the scene was almost indescribable. Tier upon tier of men and women filled every inch of space. Those who could not gain admittance stood outside and listened at the doors. Others rushed to the windows where almost every word was audible. When at 7 o'clock the service began, quite 2,000 people must have been present. The enthusiasm was unbounded. Women sang and shouted till the perspiration ran down their faces. Men jumped up, one after the other, to testify. One told in quivering accents the story of, of a drunken life. A working man spoke like a practiced orator, And one can imagine what what a note the testimony of a converted gypsy woman struck. When dressed in her best, she told of her reformation and repentance. At 10 o'clock, the meeting had lost none of its ardor. Prayer after prayer went up from these Welsh hearts with almost dreary persistence. Time and again, the four ministers who stood at the pulpit attempted to start a hymn But it was all in vain. Revival had taken hold of the people. His latest, speaking of of one of the preachers named Roberts, his latest convert is a policeman who, after complaining that people had gone mad after religion, the, the policemen in Wales were all bored, like there were no crimes being committed. And so this policeman, after complaining that people had gone mad after religion so that there was nothing to do, he went to see for himself and, bursting into tears, confessed the error of his ways and repented. (laughs) Love that. So David experienced this revival, a fresh start with God. And his lament he chronicled for us when he wrote that prayer, that song, Psalm 51. You remember some of these words that we even sing today. Create in me, Psalm 51, 10 to 12, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me With a willing spirit. If there is to be revival in our lives, in this church, or revival in the nation, it starts with genuine lament over sin. A lament that turns to God in its heartbreak. Every lament says something like, things are not as they should be. One powerful kind of lament that David boldly models for us is things are not as they should be in my heart, in my spirit, creating me a clean heart, a right spirit. And good news, as believers, as followers of Jesus, our laments are shot through with hope Because of our King, not David, but King Jesus, who wore not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns, and through his blood washed us clean, set us free from our guilt. As the old hymn says, just as I am, thou wilt receive. Think about that. I love that. Just as I am, thou wilt receive will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God. I come. I come. One side note before we finish, I think it's important to say sometimes the message these days, even coming from churches, To help people avoid sorrow, to help people feel better about themselves is, don't worry. That's not really sin. Your sin isn't sin. You see, we've gone back to Scripture and we've decided we can give some creative novel interpretations to some old passages to help people feel better about themselves. That's that's not really wrong after all. You want to douse the fires of revival? (laughs) Tell someone their sin isn't sin. Tell someone that they don't need to repent. That's a sure way to douse the fires of revival. As Isaiah would say in Isaiah 5 verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to those, Isaiah says, who put darkness for light. So the invitation this morning is to get fluent in the language of lament to find that voice that maybe you've lost. It's to listen to the Spirit of God through the Word of God, to search your heart, offer your brokenhearted confession, repent of sin, and accept the forgiveness that you have through Jesus Christ. David wrote in that psalm, verse 17, the sacrifice, listen to this, the sacrifice you desire is what? It's a broken heart, a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. Read that with me if you would. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So maybe today there is some way that you need to respond. I won't presume to know how that is. You know your heart. You know your spirit. What is that business that you need to get done with the Lord? I would urge you not to kick that can down the road, not to delay that, but to respond to the Spirit of God as He calls you to come back to the Lord. Maybe you need to put on the Savior for the first time and confess, you're not Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord of your life. Take ownership of me. You purchased me with your blood. I'm yours. And you can come to him today, sins forgiven, receiving the gift of the Spirit in your life, and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Maybe you need prayers. We're here for you. Maybe you want to know more about PC101 or placing, a member, placing membership here at Preston Crest. We'd like to talk with you about that as well. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and worship the Lord. Just as I am.
3: Thank you, John Scott, for our worship. Thank you, Gordon, for an excellent lesson this morning. As we close this morning, I want to remind you that our 6 o'clock service will be this evening, and Jacob will bring us a lesson from the parables. Hope that we will see you back for that. Uh, This morning, our take-home verse that we can all read together will be uh, led by Riker Chestnut,
7: Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread
0: of the Lord your, of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. You are dismissed.
3: Great job.